Preparing to delve in three, two, one. Hey everybody, so thank you for joining me here on another episode of Citanium Mine. On this episode, we're going to be talking about Greedfall. And I know that a lot of the games that I've been talking about up to this point were more indie titles, and Greedfall would actually be considered more a double A title, not necessarily a triple A title. But again, this all feels sort of conflated because I, you know, tentpole movies, but then also independent movies. I mean, they're all in the same medium, but it's about, I guess, how much of a budget and how much of a team they have in order to work on it. But even though I think it's considered more mainstream than some of the other smaller projects that I've talked about previously, I feel like Spiders still is a fairly small organization, and I'll talk a little bit about them as a company first. So I've had a very mixed relationship with Spiders in the past. I've probably bought all of their games at one point, usually when they go on deep sale. And I did find a reasonable measure of enjoyment out of the titles that I bought. But there was always something about it that felt like the off-brand version of something else that I had played. I would actually say the most unique one that I played from Spiders was fairy legends of avalon because i really don't have a good correlation to another game that that is like because you're you're a fairy and you get to like fly up and down and all around these worlds and then you get into random encounters but there is certainly qualities about it that will remind you of other turn-based rpgs because that's essentially what it is but you have the freeform floating capabilities but then uh, some of their other titles, like if you look at Technomancer and Mars Warlogs, which are actually both set in the same universe, it's Mass Effect, but it's like the poor man's Mass Effect. And so when I get to Greedfall, I'm like, okay, so what did they kind of borrow from in this title? And immediately the first thing you think of is uh, another Bioware series, Dragon Age. Greedfall definitely borrows a lot from the ideas of Dragon Age in terms of going around these worlds and the setting and the look and the feel and how combat works. Now, that's not a bad thing. One thing I really should say about Spiders is that the reason I have this kind of duality is because, on the one hand, it does indeed feel like I'm playing a, a smaller, possibly cheaper version of another thing that I've already played, but at the same time, the stuff that they borrow from is good stuff, and they know how to utilize it in really interesting ways. Greedfall actually does a pretty good job with the formula, and I would say that it is, a one, their most ambitious title, and also one of their most enjoyable. And I actually played Technomancer through to the end. Mars Warlogs, I did not. Fairy, I did not. Uh, because I just kind of got bored and it felt too repetitive, but I, I thought I'd stick with Technomancer. I would not go back and play it again. It's not the kind of thing that I, I'd want to play over and over again. And I don't know if I would play necessarily Greedfall over and over again, but I do have every intention of finishing it. It is a fairly long game. I was really uh, surprised by the just size of it, comparative to some of the other titles. 
that Spiders has come out with. I was very happy to see that they really did try to focus on making it look and feel like a game that had a larger budget than I'm sure they did. But let me back up for a second so I can talk a little bit about what Greedfall actually is. So this is an action RPG, and the general idea behind it is that you are a member of the nobility back in one of the uh, a fictional imperial powerhouse. You can almost think of it like one of the European imperialist nations. And you are going off to the New World, which you can kind of think of as like the Americas. But of course, this is all fantastical. And there are monsters, and there's magic, and all of that infused into this. But you are essentially a, a colonizer going to this new world and trying to find a cure for a disease that you happen to have. That's kind of like your main overarching mission in this. And then, when you get to this new world, you know, the people of the new world have all sorts of problems, so you gotta deal with that. You know, there's some tropes in RPGs that you just kind of accept, like, oh, I'm the one person that can solve all the problems that people have just had for whatever length of time. Now I've come along, so hey, I guess I'll solve it for you. But the nice thing that comes to the role-playing aspect of this is that it is not just a, okay, I'm going to solve people's problems sort of scenario. It's that I might have to make some choices that are going to affect relationships that I have with different groups that are involved in this. Some of them are native groups that have lived in this world previously. Some are the different factions that have come over from your previous imperialist powers. And you have to determine like who you are going to side with in these and who you are going to have a friendly relationship with and who you are going to off-put. And this also affects, in a lot of ways, your companion characters who are going to be going along with you on these missions, who have loyalty missions all of their own, and each one of them essentially represents like a group inside of this world. So the relationship you have with them is also going to translate to how they feel about you personally. Then all of those other characters have their own like loyalty missions essentially that will determine really how friendly they are with you and as you get a better relationship with them they also give you some passive bonuses to your stats and skills okay so speaking of that let's talk a little bit about skills the game does an interesting thing where it actually breaks up your character development into a few different realms so you have skills attributes and talents every time you level up you will get a skill every like three levels you will get an attribute point and every four levels you get a talent point so that's kind of interesting right because essentially like every time you level up 12 you're actually at a point where you're going to get an extra attribute and an extra talent this is actually one of the most interesting aspects for me because i liked the idea that they're giving you different character development aspects but they are offset for different levels and sometimes you have skills that cost more than one. They might cost two or three if they're fairly large, almost like thresholds in different lines that you can go down. The skills in general are meant to kind of go off in different directions for like your, your magic line, your firearms line. We'll get into that a little bit more later. Uh, a little bit about like your, your single-handed weapons. Then you have like your blunt weapons, etc. Then you get into attributes, and your attributes are really like your core ability 
uh, things like uh, constitution, strength, agility, those sort of things. And then you have your talents. Talents, however, are more about how you can actually interact with the environment and what you can do therein. Like, for instance, a lockpicking ability, uh, which, of course, will get you into chests and doors that you normally would not be able to access. Uh, you have charisma, which will make it easier to do speech checks. And again, maybe you can charm your way into different situations. Vigor, that will allow you to scale cliff faces and go across ravines that you normally couldn't utilize. Uh, and this is also where craftsmanship comes in and uh, science, which will allow you to make potions and allow you to upgrade your armor. So each one of these kind of uh, improves your character in different ways, and some work better together than others. But if you start the game with an idea of how you want to play, it becomes a little bit easier to figure out which of these is going to be your best bet. Like, for instance, if you say, okay, well, I want to do one-handed weapons. Like, I want to be a swashbuckler, okay? So you're going to want to go down bladed weapons and focus on that for your skills because you're going to get better at using swords, and eventually great swords if you want to go down that route. Then when you get to attributes, you're going to want to start taking agility, because that actually helps you with one-handed and two-handed swords, which actually your agility stat and your strength stat and all of those will occasionally determine whether you can use higher-level equipment. So you're saying, okay, well, I want to use swords, so agility is going to be a big thing for me. And then when you get into talents, you might be thinking to yourself that it makes more sense to get into craftsmanship and science because you're going to be able to make poisons for your sword and you're going to be able to upgrade your swords and your armor if you're getting into melee combat. So you start to realize that there are different things that work better together. Now for me, uh, because I watched The Spiffing Brit, I realized that guns, guns are going to be a go-to thing for me. As long as you can stay fully stocked with bullets, guns are incredibly powerful. And so how do you build out your firearms character? Well, there's a lot you can do with that too. You start by going down like the firearms line when it comes to skills because that increases your damage and your stun rate and uh, armor penetration, all of that. Then when you get to attributes, you want to use accuracy because that improves your overall effectiveness with guns and then also whether you would be able to use higher tier guns that will actually require a certain level of accuracy. And then when you get to talents, again, it's going to be a little bit more about a personal preference. You might say to yourself, well, it would make sense again to look into craftsmanship or in science because I'm going to be able to upgrade my gun as well, but then you might also say to yourself, well, if I'm looking for high ground and stuff, maybe it makes more sense to use something like a vigor, uh, or, you know, if I'm looking to be a silver-tongued devil, maybe I should be investing in charisma. So you start to realize that some ways that this kind of decentralized system works allows you to really build out, flesh out a character in a unique way. Although if we're talking about the guns specifically, I would actually say that the most useful one specifically for that would be science because eventually you can craft bullets. Combat is all done in real time. I would say that it functions relatively well. I, I wouldn't say that it's the most user-friendly of systems, but then again I would also say that it's not a particularly difficult game, and especially when you have ranged combat with your guns, your, your muskets, your pistols, and everything, it auto-aims 
at targets. So that makes it a lot easier for you. And also, you can have two companion characters with you at any one time, and you can switch them out at camps, which is also a neat aspect of it as well. Every time you go to a transition, so you say, I'm leaving this one area and I'm going to the next area, before they actually bring you to that area, because they need to do a little bit of loading in for that area anyway, they will take you to essentially a base camp where you can do some crafting, you can change out characters that are traveling with you, and there's also a store there that you know you can sell some stuff off and everything like that. I found that that was a really interesting aspect of the game just because sometimes you'll have RPGs where you don't know when you're going to be able to sell off equipment or put it into a chest or anything like that. And they literally in this game say, yeah, no, every time you go from one area to another, you get that ability. In terms of criticisms that I can make about the game, there are definitely some. I would say that from the get-go, it definitely feels like Greedfall is not a AAA game, even though it's trying very hard to be that. And when you look at the skill trees and all of that, the upgradability of things and the customization options do not feel quite as long as some other games. Now, that's not really to shame it for its length, because I feel like it's actually a fairly lengthy game, but it doesn't feel like your character development goes as long as the game itself. You know, actually, you can deal with some pretty tough battles pretty quickly. The game is, as I was saying before, it's not a particularly hard game, and so you can find yourself leveling up quite a bit, and it's not going to take a very high level before you've pretty much fleshed out your character fully to what you'd like to see. And if there is, for any reason, you say, like, oh, I didn't like how this worked, there are also memory crystals you pick up periodically. And when that happens, it, you can actually reset all of your skills, too. And I do appreciate that. I unfortunately didn't see something like that in, like, a Wasteland 3. But in Greedfall, they have it. The problem with having a studio that just has fewer resources, and in general just how spiders works, is that everything just feels just a teeny bit off. You know, like uh, characters' facial expressions and voice work and everything just feel a little bit unnatural, to the point where you get into a little bit of uncanny valley territory with some of the characters. When it comes to moving and interacting with the environment, a lot of it can feel a little stilted. Like, for instance, I need to go through a door, and so you go up to the door and interact with it, and then you open the door and you close the door behind you. Uh, but then you, when you have to go back out, you have to then open the door back up again and go out. And I'm using that, it, it seems like a little minutia thing, but I'm using that as kind of an allegory for all the kinds of interactions that you have in the game when you're interacting with chests or re really anything. Again, it seems like a nitpicky thing, but the camera itself swings real wildly, and I could not figure out how to change that in settings. It just felt so fast and imprecise that it became very difficult to actually focus on where I was going. And then there are some quirks with the missions as well. Uh, for instance, when I first arrived at the shores of this new world, I thought I would go uh, exploring a little bit, and maybe I would sneak into some of the warehouses. So I snuck into the warehouses, and I got caught 
somehow. I thought that these were friends of mine, but apparently they attacked me on site, and I didn't really have a, an option at all to try and talk my way out of it or, or back out. So I, I attacked them because I figured, meh, whatever, and uh, they, they apparently are dead now. But I got what I needed out of the warehouse. Well, little did I know that down the road, it would actually be a quest for Vasco to go into those places and don't hurt anybody. Well, I was like, oh, okay, I won't hurt anybody when I go in there. Maybe we can give them this uh, sleeping powder. So I, I did that. I gave them the sleeping aid, and then I went into the warehouses, got what I needed to get, and I got out. And I didn't attack anybody. But since I had already done that before the quest even started, when I get out after all of that rigmarole, uh, Vasco stills like, I told you not to hurt anybody, what happened? And I, I was like, you probably should have given me this quest sooner. <laughs> like, I don't know what to tell you, Vasco. Why, if, if you already knew that I did something in the warehouse, why did you tell, why, why did you make me go through all of this trouble to not, to do a non-violent thing? Frankly, I don't really know why he would have given me the quest if I had already done something that would make him angry for doing the quest. And it just felt like there were these moments in the game that are sort of like that, where the NPC characters and other characters in the game seem completely unaware of what I have done previously until that one section where they are personally involved, and then all of a sudden it matters. And there's a certain disconnect to that, I felt. There was another case, too, where I was going into a camp, and this was like a, a faction that had broken off from the main faction, and Kurt wanted to make sure that I wasn't, like, hurting anybody at this camp, right? That was the whole goal, is don't hurt anybody at this camp. So from the outset, I was like, okay, fine, I'm going to stealth my way through this, nobody's going to get hurt. And I didn't. I didn't hurt anybody. I, I, I went through this as a completely non-lethal, like, stealth section, jumped down into the pit, and then I get these speech checks, right? This speech check, that speech check, the other thing. Okay, I've made them all great. I, I've been able to get the recruits to stand down. Everything's good. Oh, no, you didn't save this person they were interrogating that I completely forgot you even mentioned to begin with. Oh, no, well, we're going to attack you anyway. So now I'm in a firefight anyway, and, and Kurt, I still fail that part of the mission because Kurt's not happy that we had to kill people. It's like, well, Kurt, I did everything in my power, and I went all over that facility, and I don't, I don't know who I was looking for. Uh, I don't even remember you saying anything about it, and it confuses me because I don't know why the game would even bother asking me to make all these speech checks to try and do a non-violent thing when it's obvious that I'm going to fail it anyway because they've already determined I didn't do this one thing that insta-fails it at the end. So wh why am I going through all of this trouble if you've already determined I'm not going to succeed? It's these weird moments in the game that just feel like a little bit more care could have gone into it to make these interactions feel more realistic and to make the consequences feel a little bit more weighty. But in general, I feel like uh, Greedfall is just one of those games that is uh, great if you like RPGs. It's not going to necessarily sell you on RPGs if you have never been into them before, but if you are a fan of RPGs like me, it is something worth playing, and has quite a bit of meat on the bones, especially for a Spider's title. It is at this point that I would talk to you about alternatives to Greedfall, 
And I'm not going to talk to you about the ones that it specifically borrows from, which is a lot of Bioware games mostly, and maybe a little bit from Fable. But instead, I will actually highlight another RPG from 2019 that kind of came along after Greedfall and overshadowed it, which it definitely deserved to, because it was my game of the year for 2019, and that's The Outer Worlds. There are some similarities between these two, these dialogue trees that you go through, the idea of an action RPG, uh, you have two characters that can follow you along at any given time, there is a heavy focus on interacting with the different people that are involved and different factions and determining whether you are going to be friendly with some or screw over others. And although I have technically played Greedfall after Outer Worlds, even though Outer Worlds came afterward, I, I can tell you that I still feel Outer Worlds was a much better game overall. It may edge closer to, say, a Fallout than it would to a Dragon Age, but it's definitely worth playing, and so I'm going to highlight it here again, in case people didn't get a chance to play it. I I will say that I think Greedfall is technically a longer game. You know, Outer Worlds you can complete in like 30-35 hours with doing most everything in the game. If you do about half, I've heard, of what Greedfall has for like the side quests and then the main title, uh, you're looking at 30 to 40 hours. So if you really want to do everything in the game, yeah, Greedfall is going to be a, a longer experience. But I think in terms of the quality of the experience, you're going to get more out of Outer Worlds. But something that I will highlight for Greedfall is that even though I thought Outer Worlds was a better product than this, I will say that it is doing a better job than the like franchises that it borrowed from at this point because if you're looking at like a BioWare uh it is definitely a superior product to some of BioWare's most recent outings good on spiders for really upping their game i think that they have definitely done that with grade fall and i would not fault anybody for wanting to play it it's just that i can't tell you that it's necessarily as rich or as deep or as fleshed out an experience as other RPGs that I have played in the past. Some from, like, ten years back. But, you know, I love going back and looking at games from the past, because sometimes they are superior experiences to what you have now, especially when you get to an older game that's been out for a while, and they've patched what they needed to patch, and on modern hardware it actually runs a lot better, and the load screens are shorter. Uh, those are actually great experiences. It's why I like to go back to games occasionally, but I'm getting off topic. Uh, thank you for joining me on this episode of Citanium Mine, and beware the forest spirits when you're leaving. They are very large, and they will crush you if you are not careful and know how to use dodge. By the way, learn how to use dodge in Creedfall. You will need it for some of the larger encounters. Okay, bye now. <laughs>